This is Risky Women Radio, a show to connect, celebrate and champion women in risk, regulation and compliance, sharing insight and perspective from the most influential members of our global Risky Women Network on the latest developments we need to think about, the challenges we should all talk more about and the innovation we are most excited about in governance, risk and compliance. Bringing together the hundreds of senior women professionals already connected, with a new emerging group of leading women and men. I'm Kimberly Cole, your Chief Risky Woman. Welcome to Risky Women Radio. Today I am pleased to be in Sydney uh, in the ASIC offices and speaking to our Risky Woman regulator, Louise McCauley. Louise is the Senior Executive Leader of the Financial Advisors Team, a position that she shares with Joanna Bird, and we can speak a little bit more about that later. The Financial Advisors Team is responsible for the regulation of the financial advice industry. Previously, Louise was ASIC's Commission and Counsel, and prior to that, she led ASIC's Enforcement Policy, Practice and Law Reform Agenda. Before joining ASIC, Louise was a Senior Associate at Allen's. Louise holds a Master of Laws from the University of Sydney and a Bachelor of Laws and a Bachelor of Arts with Honours from ANU, or the Australian National University. So, welcome Louise. Thank you very much. Great to have you here. And so, let's kick off with hearing a little bit about your career journey to date. Um, Well, uh, I started as a litigator in private practice um, quite some time ago now. I can't believe how long ago. How... um, how time has flown. Um, so I was a litigator in private practice, then I moved to ASIC, never thinking I'd stay at ASIC for so long, but again I did you know, some large pieces of litigation. And then after that I began to get involved in broader issues around um, what it was like to do enforcement as a regulator and um, how we use our compulsory powers, the different remedies and how they should be used. And, and dealing um, with law reform um, as, as the laws were being developed, but also how do we implement new laws? What are the procedures and policies we should have in place to ensure that we use our powers properly? Um, I was in charge of the administrative law team for a while. We put in place a whole heap of um, knowledge management tools um, and other support mechanisms for enforcement staff. So that all that role was very much in the enforcement area. And then I moved to a completely different role, which was being um, the advisor to the commission about ASIC's legal obligations. And so that was even more about, um, I guess, risk management, protecting ASIC, making sure that it complied um, with what it had to as a, as a government entity and, and more broadly as a regulator. Um, You know, obviously I'd done a little bit of that when I was doing the enforcement work. Um, But here I was squarely protecting ASIC's legal interests. And I enjoyed that because I was looking more broadly across the whole of ASIC as an organisation instead of having an enforcement focus. And then um, I did that for about four years and then I moved into my current role, which again was completely different. So um, regulating the financial advice industry. Yes, which are an interesting time at the moment which we can get into. Um, And so there's a few things in there that we'll get into in terms of, you know, actually maybe a bit more of the structure of ASIC and how your role fits in. Um, 
But I really want to talk about, as I mentioned at the start, that you share your role with um, another lady called Joanna Bird. And I think, you know, obviously you're senior, it's a, a, a key role with, uh, within ASIC. And I think often we see people struggle um, to have the creativity and the flexibility on some of these roles. So how have you managed that? And tell us, you know, what kind of practical guidance you could, uh, you can offer? Um, okay, well, there's a lot in that. I, I love talking about job sharing. Um, so Joe and I have done it in this role for six years. We weren't the first um, people within ASIC to do job share at a senior role. There was another pair of women who were doing it at the same time. Um, we applied for the job jointly. Um, we had oh, interesting. We, um, and I think that's key. I think you need to... The key thing about job share role is the, the two people who are sharing. There needs mm. to be a, a good, solid relationship. So you, you can't be put into a role with another person and be, be told that you're going to job share. Um, so we decided we'd like to job share. I was in ASIC. Joe had previously worked at ASIC. So we were both known to ASIC. And, of course, there was precedent. Um, another couple of women who had done a similar thing for some years. Um, we applied together. We had a, um, a joint covering letter and our CVs, and we were interviewed together. Um, the great thing about ASIC was that they were, you know, incredibly supportive of mm. that kind of role. We before we applied for the job, we did speak um, to people in the development area, um, and we foresaw that the interview might involve lots of questions about how will it work. But the questions were all about, okay, what what are you, what, what's your ability to do the job? What are your merits? And we'll, we'll trust you to make it work. Um, and we had done our, our homework and of course we had the, the precedent to rely on. So, um, and I think we have made it work, I think. Um, and so what's key to making it work? Because obviously you said you applied, you applied together yeah. so you knew each other's we, we, so we had, yeah, approach. Yeah, we knew, we knew each other and we, we have... The, the, one of the key things is that we have a very similar approach to our work. We, we don't always have the same view. Generally, we're heading in the same direction, and that is key because you need to be able to live with what the other the decisions the other person makes. So Joe works Monday to Wednesday. I work Wednesday to Friday. So we have our important crossover day where we have we schedule meetings where we both want to attend. So our team meetings and. You know, we make decisions about HR always jointly, those, those, um, those, you know, our budget meetings, that kind of thing. Other than that, if it's on your day, you do it. And so you've got to be, you've got to be, um, you've got to be flexible and you've got to have respect for the decision that the other person has made because you're going to be implementing it. You, you can't be chopping and changing Yeah, and it. then I imagine communication is pretty key. Communication, sure yeah. you know what each other's um, doing. So we do, we have a um, regime where um, we, at the end of our sort of couple of days work, we'll send emails to each other that summarises where things are and we also talk. Um, and so we pretty well keep up with how things are going. And, it, you know, it, we've been doing it for six years and we're, yeah. we're, I think we're quite good at the communication piece and we will... Occasionally, when one of us is not at work, they'll get a phone call from the other one saying, "Oh, you know, what about this? This has just cropped up. What do you think?" So, it's a fantastic way of having a very senior role and being able to work part time. 
we really enjoy it because we find that we get such fantastic support from each of us having another person to bounce ideas off, to you know, take you through the good times and the bad times. It's been a very busy job and so having the two of us I think has helped yeah. keep up the energy and it's helped manage the workload. Yeah, fantastic. And, and so how, how big is, is the team as in total? Oh, we've got about 65, 67 people, just about, right. you know, secondes, mat leave, that kind of right. stuff. They're spread through four um, sites across Australia, Perth, okay. Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne. And when you're looking at the team and, and even within, you know, your skill set and Joe's, what are the key requirements or what are the key skills that you think are needed? Uh, analytical skills and strategic skills. I think it, it, talking broadly, we've we've got a number of um, different skills, technical skills within our team. So we've got a lot of people who've come from the financial planning industry. Right. So they've been planners, or they've been para planners. They've worked in compliance roles, um, and their technical skills are really important. And we've got a data analyst, um, several in fact, um, and a consumer researcher. We've got some lawyers um, who do, we've got a team that does policy work of about eight or nine people. So we've got technical skills, but the thing that we require is the ability to look at something and analyse, well, what's the issue here and, and how do we deal with it? So that strategic approach, I think, is important. And I think, um, and our team have got this in buckets, you've got to have tenacity and you've got to have resilience. Yeah in our particular role at this time. Yes. Um, and so what, I guess, in the career journey that you've had, what have been the highlights so far for you? Oh, well, so a long while ago, a very long <laughs> while ago, when I first came to ASIC, I ran a very large piece of um, litigation, um, class action litigation, and we got $100 million for tens of thousands of investors. So uh, that was you know, I think a highlight, not not just for the the money, but, you know, we, I put together a great team and we ran it and, you know, it was, it was a great outcome. Um, I, I've had a couple of instances recently where we've had matters in the financial advice space where I think we've worked through with industry and we've had a really good outcome. You know, a couple of EUs spring to mind where... Um, you know, it hasn't been an easy process, but at the EU end of the day, an enforceable undertaking. At, at the end of the day, you can look at the business and say, well, that has improved yep. um, through all the work that they've put in and, and we've put in um, assisting them. And I, so I guess, you know, it's when I feel that I can make a difference. I'm, you know, quite proud of our team. Six years ago, it was less than 25 people. Right. Um, and so we've built up and we've really built up the skills and the way that we go about regulating and interacting with the industry and um, you know I think it's a great team and I really enjoy working with them. Great um, so interesting um, you know it's a it's an interesting skill set from everything obviously you mentioned data analysts as well as you've got legal compliance and people from the actual financial planning industry um, so I think Let's look at and dig into sort of the role a bit more, what's the areas of responsibility, and then even sort of directionally where you kind of see all of that heading um, in terms of, um, you know, I guess disruption in the marketplace and, and what that means. Yeah. 
Um, so explain your sort of where your function sits in ASIC and what are the kind of key areas of responsibility? Okay. So within ASIC, we're called a stakeholder team. Um, and so we regulate the um, financial advice sector and the idea is that, that we're the, out, the, the outward-facing team who interacts and regulates um, the financial advice sector. In an, and, and by that I mean advisors and licensees. And we focus really on personal advice that's, that's delivered to retail clients. And the regulation takes the form of um, education and guidance being provided through our regulatory guides and our policy statements and our interaction with industry, um, surveillances and engaging with industry about how they could do things better right through to um, enforcement action. We don't do the court-based enforcement action, that's our enforcement team, although we will assist them. But we do do administrative, um, the work around administrative bannings and enforceable undertakings. Um, so we, we do a wide range of work. We also interact with the industry, so we're regularly meeting with industry associations, speaking to industry, um, being understanding what their issues are. And what are the key powers that ASIC has around financial regulations for the financial planners? Um, well, we've got a whole range of power. <laughs> so, obviously, um, for the most serious conduct, we can take criminal action. Um, there are a lot of um, powers to, to take civil action in court, so um, civil penalties, injunctive action, that kind of thing. And then there's a range of um, administrative powers, so banning individuals from being able to provide advice, um, suspending or cancelling or changing the conditions of a financial services licensee in relation to providing advice, um, enforceable undertakings. They, they are, it's an agreement that is set out um, in writing. It's publicly available it, and it's enforceable before a court. Um, if the entity doesn't comply with it, is another sort of form of administrative outcome. And obviously, you're one stakeholder group, and there's many others yes, within ASIC. So yeah. how do you, how does it all work together? What are the interactions within ASIC? Are you quite independent, or is there a lot of you know crossover and interactions? So interaction is key. We yeah. we can't afford to be independent. So yeah. one of the other stakeholder groups is um, around superannuation. Mm -hmm. And financial advice and superannuation, uh, you know, very linked. <laughs> they're very linked. They go right together. Yeah. So we work closely with that team. Um, similarly, we've got a team that deals, among other things, with insurance. And so while they might be dealing with the insurers and the products, and we're dealing with the advice end, there is a strong overlap. So we have strong links with those teams. Obviously, the enforcement side of it. We work with the um, investigators and the enforcement team. Um, that's very important. And then also the part of ASIC which receives all the breach reports and the reports of misconduct that come through from the public and do the initial analysis. We're engaging with them around you know what they're seeing, what we're interested in because they send through material to us. And then also the licensing area which is um, important because they mm. license, um, provide the licenses to the um, uh, financial services licensees that we then regulate. So we engage with them around decisions they have to make. 
Interesting. So, I mean, this year um, has been a very challenging one for um, Australia and the industry. And it might not have been something that you wanted to add to your CV, but you recently appeared before the Royal Commission due to um, a lot of the, um, the, the challenges in the industry with financial planning. Um, I guess I'm interested, I mean, because that's a very unique experience to have to go through a Royal Commission and having to speak at the Royal Commission, I guess rather than getting into what are the, you know, all of the issues that um, that came up, more about, you know, how did you prepare for that and then what was that experience like? Because I think, um, you know, that's something that not every person does. <laughs> no, well, and which is probably a good thing. I, I think it was the hardest thing I've had to do in my working life. Yeah. Um, I, I prepared for it by, um, well, listening to the evidence that was being given by the other people um, who were appearing in that section before me, um, and I had listened to earlier evidence as well. Um, thinking about what questions were likely to come up, obviously I had to prepare a statement. Um, so questions around that. So feeling that I was um, comfortable across my topic and talking to other people within ASIC and just floating ideas off them and making sure I had the information I needed. And, and also remembering that I, I had knowledge and expertise. And so, you know, I, 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 I knew what I was talking about. So there's a certain level of belief in your own knowledge and your own background and skills. Yes. And you need, you know, you need to call on that. Um, obviously, um, we had barristers engaged to assist us, and they um, had conversations with me about how, this is how you go about answering a question because there's a certain way in which you deal with that kind of examination. Um, I had been a witness once or twice before. I've, you know, I think a royal commission appearance is, is different to being a witness. Often, as a witness, you're a witness of fact where you're saying things, but. I thought I was being asked quite difficult questions um, that went to the heart of what ASIC does. And I was a representative of ASIC and, and of my team. Mm. Um, so I felt that responsibility as well. And you're also operating within the paradigm of the Royal Commission. They are there to do a certain job. They are wanting to get certain pieces of information and they are doing going about it in a certain way. So. They're wanting to understand where the issues are, where are the problems they're probing to see what they think is not working from a particular perspective. Mm. So you need you need to understand that. True. And I imagine it was very challenging. And obviously you've got the before kind of preparation and you feel that, you know, yes, you've got knowledge and skills and, you know, capabilities that you know and insight that you can provide was was it so was it the before or the during or the after that was maybe the most uh, difficult well, even though you've done that preparation and you might keep reminding yourself about that I think it was you know I, I found it very difficult preparing and I had many sleepless nights as I know other people had um, you know it it's not it's an appearance where you're never going to come out looking any better. The most you can hope for is that you don't muck it up. Yeah. It's a no-win sort of situation. Um, uh, yeah, so I think you know the best that, that I could do was to do my 
best to, to answer the questions, to answer them in the way that I've been advised um, to do and to recognise that it was a particular process. Um, I found afterwards, you know, the media was challenging, walking out of the commission and having someone photograph you and then the next day seeing all these photographs in the paper and, um, you know, even today the photographs will pop up. And I was in the shower one morning a few months afterwards and I heard my voice being played over the radio in some news um, show. But, but also I got a lot of messages and texts from colleagues and um, people I'd worked with and friends sort of supporting me. Um, and there was a lot of obviously support within ASIC. So, you know, that was, that was nice. Mm. And obviously there's been a whole range of issues that have been highlighted from, you know, misconduct and, and bad behaviour. So rather than looking at sort of where we're at, what, if we look to the future, I guess, what is, what is your aspiration um, for, you know, how the industry will evolve and change and, and reform, if you like? Yeah. Um, the industry is in an incredible state of flux at the moment um, and has been for several years and there's more to come. And, and it's challenging, I think, for the industry that there's an awful lot to deal with, even, you know, leaving aside the Royal Commission. And I think what ASIC wants for the industry is what the industry wants for itself, which is um, for advisors and licensees to understand their roles and have the right systems and processes to enable them to have a good, successful business model. And, and the purpose of that is you want them to be a trusted profession so that Australians will come to them and get the advice they need to properly manage their financial well-being. And you want people, you know, across the community to be able to access financial advice. And so whilst ASIC might have a different role um, within the ecosystem, I think we're, we're, we want to get to the same endpoint as the industry wants to get to. I mean, I think trust comes up time and time again as I do these different interviews with different people across a range of different elements. And um, a previous episode was with uh, Claire Williams from uh, Barclays, who's global head of reputational risk at Barclays. And, you know, trust was at the heart of everything that she was talking about. And you see that in, in many different um, areas. Um, I think one of the one of the things that was raised was sort of the time, the time that it took for action to be taken or even raised or um, uh, and so I guess one of the things there that I just wonder is, you know, what other things are you doing to look to be more proactive rather than mm. reactive in terms of how things maybe are reported to ASIC or can ASIC yeah. detect things and obviously FinTech, RegTech is a, is a hot yeah. topic. Well, look, you know, ASIC does do an awful lot of stuff to detect things. So, you know, again, the Royal Commission, it was, there's many great things coming out of the Royal Commission, but it was looking at at industry and ASIC through a particular prism. Yeah. So a lot of the thematic proactive work that we do was not part of anything that was discussed at the Royal Commission. So we get a lot we, we don't just sit and wait for a response you know a breach report to come through from industry and we understand very much what the issues are around that and we've been engaging with the industry on that we're about to publish a report that looks across that and and there's some law reform um 
So we are constantly engaging with industry um, to understand what the issues are. We get a lot of industry intelligence. It's not just through rich reports. Um, we hear a lot of stuff. We're getting reports of misconduct. And we are very much looking at emerging issues. So we do large pieces of thematic work. So um, we've just published a report about um, self-managed super funds and some issues around mis-selling of um, self-managed super funds. The vertical integration report that we did where we looked at the five big institutions, that, that and another report that our super area did about conflicts management. That was the start of, I mean, everyone's talking about vertical integration now because the Royal Commission was talking about it. But, you know, we, we'd been doing that work. So um, work does take a little while to do um, to yeah. get those kind of outcomes. That's just a fact of life. Um, material needs to be gathered. It, it, that takes some time, sometimes longer than you would hope. There are various processes, whether it's a court process or, or an administrative process that needs to go through because there needs to be procedural fairness before you get an outcome that's going to affect someone's interest. So what are the top priorities at the moment? And, you know, what are the sort of plans for the future for financial planning and how the industry yeah. you see is evolving? So what is the industry saying and how are you sort of predicting well, things are going to change? So vertical um, integration is part of a broader topic of conflicts of interest. Right. Okay. Conflicts of interest is um, something that we've been talking about for a little while and is very much um, a topic of discussion. Not a, It's ownership, but it's also about remuneration. And the thing about conflicts of interest is where do they distort um, the possibility of giving good advice? Because mm. where that occurs, you're getting an outcome that is not optimal. So that, that, I, that is very much on the agenda to be looked at. And, and con conflicted remuneration was looked at at FOFA, but it's five years on and it, it can be seen that it, it warrants a further look. Um, Professionalism and training is a very big issue in the industry at the moment because there is new legislation. Um, I personally think that it is going um, to have a bigger impact on the industry in terms of moving it to a better footing than really any other bit of regulation that we've had in the past sort of five or eight years. Having said that, it will have it will also have a very significant impact on those advisors who are currently in the industry. So it's a it's a big thing. Um, and industry is spending a lot of time thinking about that and preparing itself for that. And that will happen over the next, I guess, five years. Um, superannuation is a hot topic. Um, yes. And I, I mentioned the <laughs> work that we've done around self-managed super funds and concerns we have that they are being um, sold um, to people for whom it's not the right structure. Right. Um, and that it's not always being sold with advice, so that makes it even trickier. Um, but there's certainly concerns in the advice space. Um, licensee conduct. I think, you know, licensees, they, they are really, you know, the gatekeepers. They have the primary responsibility around providing good advice. And there are some fantastic ones, um, but there are many who need to improve their processes mm. and that's not an easy thing that's not a sort of a that's not a quick fix I don't think um, it's something the court litigation will fix that might be part of the answer but there's there's other things that mm. need to be done too 
Great. So, um, so Louise, tell us about the business impact that you think your role has and, and that kind of what does success look like? Well, so um, what does success look like for my business role? So, so I think we need, we need to have credibility with the industry, with the financial advice industry. And we've worked hard to um, let the industry understand why it is that we hold certain views and we take certain actions. So not just, you know, we've, this is the outcome. Something has happened. Someone's been banned. We've, something has happened to a licensee. But to explain the underlying misconduct that gave rise to that. Um, because it's all it, it, it's about the industry sort of being educated and understanding so um, when we've done our thematic reports we've taken care to put at the end appendices or checklists that talk about well here's how you can give a good advice in this particular area here are, if you are um, reviewing the the advice files of your advisors here's, here's a template for what you should be looking for so to provide some some real assistance to industry we have also t um, communicated to industry that our staff do come from industry and have industry expertise so you're not just getting the the view of, of someone who has been sitting in an office working working away for ASIC um, for all that time they have been out there, they understand the issues. We meet regularly with industry associations um, so that we can hear from them what their so issues are, what they're seeing. So do people move in and out of ASIC? Yes, yeah. yes, mm. yep, yep, they do, they do. And we very much, um, we, although we do, sometimes our people who move <laughs> into ASIC and then they move out of ASIC and they always come back again. <laughs> well, that's good. So, <laughs> so it's, that, you, yeah. you would recommend yeah. working at ASIC. I, I, I think those people. <laughs> It. Um, and so we, we very much target people who've had industry experience because that, that is important um, and we, we support our um, people who have industry experience to maintain that industry experience. So I guess in, uh, you know, continuing that and it, uh, to sort of end this section, um, what's the, the kind of critical role of the regulators and, and how does it support financial market yeah. success? Well, I, get, I mean, there's a lot, there are many different regulators in yeah. just looking at financial services. So you Absolutely. have to think about, well, what is the particular regulator? And, and ASIC's role, I think, is is conduct. Um, so I don't think regulators are there to make sure that nothing bad ever happens. Yeah. Okay? We can't stop all the bad stuff happening. We have to make sure the industry knows what the rules are and understands them and, and complies with them. And guidance is part of that and deterrence is part of that. And, and what the deterrence is um, depends on the misconduct. And I think it also depends on the industry and um, the level of professionalism um, and the level of self-regulation. So, you know, different industries might be regulated in a slightly different way depending on where they're at in in terms of professionalism, I think the financial advice industry, parts of it are very professional, other parts of it have a long way to go and, and you know, that's happening but it can't happen overnight. We operate within the framework of the legislation. Yes. Um, so obviously we can, the, the legislation sets up a regime and that's what we work with and we have to work with that and we also have to work with the resources that we have. So you, when you put those three things in the mix, you know, that, that in a general sense sets up the role 
the regulator. Great. Well, thank you very much. Connecting, celebrating and championing women in risk regulation and compliance, Rescue Women Radio takes an intimate look at the rants and revelations of the top women shaping the debate and the industry. Now we move on to my favourite section, which is our Risky Women Rants and Revelations. So let's start with um, your uh, Risky Women Revelation. And that's the sort of, you know, what's the, you know, thing, if you were queen for the day, what would you proclaim? Or what was that piece of advice that, you know, you wish you knew when, uh, in, in your younger self? Well, I don't know. I think there's more than one piece of advice. <laughs> I guess it's, you know, I guess it's it's back yourself and, and, and take your opportunities. Don't be afraid when there's an opportunity or even half an opportunity. Or even if you just think it'd be good if there was an opportunity, go out and ask for it. Yeah. Because other people will be asking for it. And if you don't, you're not going to be in the mix. So, And I've sometimes I've done that and it's... I've personally find it uncomfortable feeling but it you know in the end it's been fine yeah <laughs> it's worked out so maybe I think I think in your career you need well in your, in your day-to-day work you need to be courageous sometimes and and maybe in your career you also need to apply some of that courage I, I'm you know I can't I'm not a great person for spending time on my career <laughs> I wish in fact probably that's what I would tell my younger self think a little bit more about your career spend some time every week um, thinking about that that's yep yeah, I think that's uh, probably good for for a lot of people so thank you and now what is the and I always pick one but I often get more than one for this as well but what is the one thing that you wish you could change now and why the culture in the financial advice sector because I think that's 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 at the root of it. That's that, you know, if there was a strong culture throughout the advice firms, then I think we would have a different industry. Yep, great, very outcome focused. Risky Women is a vibrant network at the centre of a global community in a rapidly growing, evolving, and influential industry. Given the continued pace of change, our Rapid Fire Round revisits the most pressing topics to share ideas and offer listeners new perspectives. Okay, now we go on to our Risky Women Rapid Fire Round. So these are just short answers to a few kind of key questions. So one word to sum up the world from a governance, risk, compliance and regulation perspective. Tricky. Tricky. Good one. Okay, your top risk for 2018? Conflicts. Mm-hmm. And the cure for the cost of compliance? Culture. Biggest technology impact on compliance and risk and regulation in general? Is coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and your outlook for the year ahead? Optimistic, pessimistic or uncertain? I'm optimistic. Um, it I, it will be a challenging year. I think there's a lot happening. It will be a year of change, but I think it's all going in in the right direction. And I think the industry is, you know, 
it's it's getting stronger and it's improving and it's getting more toward what I would define as a successful industry. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Louise McCauley, um, and being our Risky Women Regulator. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this exciting episode of Risky Women Radio. To connect, champion and celebrate women in risk regulation and compliance. I'm Kimberly Cole, based in Hong Kong. For more information on the Risky Women Global Network, head to our website in the episode notes and please be a part of the ongoing conversation by subscribing to this podcast, connecting with us at Risky Women on Twitter, or even reaching out to me directly by email.